If you want to get more value from your data analytics investment, I highly recommend you speak with Rubik's. That's Rubik's with an X at the end. I've done a lot of work with them. They're excellent at what they do, and they're a lot of fun to work with as well. Rubik's are a fully Australian-owned data analytics technology services company. They work with top ASX listed companies. They are dedicated to being Australia's leading data company. That's all they do. They love doing it. The experts at Rubik's apply their extensive data capability and rapid analytics framework to help you get the value you need from your data within a couple of weeks. After that, the sky's the limit. I've been impressed at how fast they are at delivery. Unlike other consulting companies, Rubik's is a true partner. They are data specialists. They always send in their A-team, or as they like to call it, the data Avengers. For data strategy, all the way through to delivery, give them a call, ask for Dylan. You'll have a fantastic conversation. You'll walk away smarter and have had a few laughs as well. And also check out the website rubix.com.au and for the contact form go to rubix.com.au forward slash contact. Elisa, um, you are quite popular. Your subject matter is quite popular. Keen to get into, into your origin story, uh, how you got to where you are, what you're doing today. Uh, but, you know, in, in uh, obviously, um, in preparation for the webinar, I, I do a bit of research on, on the guests and, and looking at your background, so, um, so impressive. So you, you worked in Citigroup. You were Senior Manager of Global Intelligence at Avon. You worked at Quantum and LinkedIn. You're head of data analytics and insights at Admire, and and now almost almost a year as head of data science and insight as head of data and analytics at the AFL. Um, how's how's that journey been for you? Oh, geez, you just made me feel really old. That's a lot of experience right there. I think that's a lot of gold. A lot of gold to share. <laughs> Um, no, thank you for that. And by the way, Felipe, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, I, I was in the audience listening to your intro, um, and I love what you're doing with data futurology in Espanol. Um, I spent almost 10 years working um, pretty much in Latin America. So, um, Amazing. Hola, buenos dias, como estas? Yes, so, um, that is great. Absolutely. So maybe we could do this exact webcast in Spanish so I could practice. Ah, uh, that would be great. All right, done, done. Uh, we'll book it in. Thank you so much for that. That is so exciting. Thank you. How, how did you end up working in Latin America? Yeah, so probably the, the stint, my longest stint was actually at um, Avon Cosmetics. Mm -hmm. So they were in Australia, but unfortunately has, has left the country. But in markets, as, as I'm sure you know, like uh, Latin American markets and Central Eastern European markets, um, Avon is, is still huge. And that's the primary way in which women purchase cosmetics. Yeah. Um, so I worked with them for 10 years um, on uh, their marketing analytics projects for Latin America. So I spent a lot of time in Brazil and Argentina and Colombia and Venezuela. And I, I, I tell people that if, if I were born again, I would be born again as a Brazilian woman <laughs> because they know how to live life. Right? They know how to live life. I <laughs> could, not, could not agree more. Um, oh, that's amazing. And you, yeah, you were obviously quite, quite senior uh, during your time in, in Avon. Um, quite early on in your career as well, got to a, you know a, a, a very senior position. Uh, shows shows um, 
uh, shows the, your ability to deliver, your ability to, to set vision. That's, that's amazing. How do you feel that that time set you up for, for what came next? Yeah, so funny. So uh, to your point, um, my experience at Avon was really early on in my career. So I kind of started out in finance, accounting, investment banking. So I thought that was going to be my career track, but I just, mm -hmm. you know, just wasn't my jam. So um, I always loved working with data, but once I moved into the world of data linked to customers, customer behavior, um, that's when it really came to life for me. And um, I just, I loved it. So my experience at Avon was actually my first introduction into marketing analytics. And Very way nice. back then, marketing analytics wasn't really a thing. There was market research, there was market intelligence, you had kind of data analysts, but people weren't really talking analytics, people weren't talking predictive modeling. Um, so who was my boss at the time came from Kraft. Um, you know, and if you look at kind of CPG, FMCG companies in the U.S., that's where they really pioneered a lot of these predictive methodologies used in companies today. So I was lucky enough to kind of go under his wing um, and he introduced me to this whole world of analytics. And when I figured out that you can use data to actually try to predict what's going to happen in the future, that blew my mind. <laughs> absolutely right. blew my mind. Um, and you kind of learn about it in stats in school, but it's, it's not the same. So um, I got hooked. I worked on my first marketing mix model. Um, we looked at um, ROIs of different advertising investments and decisions were actually made on this data. So it was um, an incredible experience. Um, and you know what, from, from that time, and again, because I was so junior, um, I, I, was, I was very nervous and scared. I was like, this is an area that I know nothing about, but I know that if I apply myself and I'm curious enough, um, I can figure it out. Yes. And I've kind of taken that perseverance throughout with me in my career. And if I run into a topic area or um, a project or, or anything that I don't know a lot about, you know, I'm going to figure it out. Ask questions. Be curious. Do your research. Um, and figure it out. I, I love it. I love it. Where um, having having that that confidence and being able to back yourself is is so important. Where where do you think that came from for you? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm going to be totally honest. That whole idea of kind of um, imposter syndrome, which you know, I think a lot of women, especially in this space, deal with. Um, it's something that you need to kind of recognize for yourself and know that, you know what? Um, I feel like I'm an imposter in this area, but actually I know a lot more than I think. And actually I know a lot more than the guy sitting next to me. Yeah. Um, but I have to be honest, it took me, you know, a long part of my career to kind of get over it. But man, once you get over that, you fly. You yes. absolutely fly. <laughs> And, and do you think that, um, in a way, um, what, what, what helped you get, get over it? Did you have to maybe like be kinder to yourself and say, like, I feel I may not know, I can find out. Um, I do know a lot. Um, was there a change in, in mindset uh, for you? Uh, was there anything in particular or, or an, I don't know, a few things that helped you get, get over it? Yeah, I mean, there were some proactive bits, which was um, – always ask, trying to ask for feedback. So I know people do it and they try to do it maybe at your end of 
peer review, but um, to really make it a habit of always asking feedback and not mm -hmm. being nervous about receiving feedback. Because yeah, the yes. feedback could be bad or constructive, but you know what, most of the time, probably 90% of the time, the feedback is gonna be good um, yes. and embrace, embrace that feedback. So that was kind of one really proactive thing I did. Um, call it age or life experiences, but um, just personally, a lot of things have happened in my life where, you know, life is too short to be um, living in worry or thinking that you're not good enough. So um, man, once you can kind of get over that, once you can kind of get over that, it's pretty liberating. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, totally. Like life is to be enjoyed. Don't, don't hold yourself back. That's amazing. And how, how was your, um, your, your journey to, to getting to the AFL? So after the MBA, um, I met my Aussie husband. Um, so at the time, right. so this was in 2004 and I'll tell this, this audience that I, I don't, I probably don't know any of you, but I'll tell you this story. It's not the story I tell my children, but, um, I met him in a club in New York and I heard his Aussie accent and I gotta say for all the Aussies on the phone that Americans love the Aussie accent. Um, and so I just gravitated towards him. And that, that was, that was, um, gosh, how many, that was 16 years ago, a marriage and two children. So amazing. It all starts with the accent. I'm telling you, Felipe. <laughs> um, I love it. So I met him and, um, you know, I was living in New York City at the time and most people living in Manhattan, when you run out of room in your small studio apartment, most people either move to like Brooklyn, but like people are now priced out of Brooklyn. So then people move to New mm -hmm. Jersey. And I was like, do I want to move to New Jersey or move to Australia? Okay. Hey. I think Australia sounds a bit more exciting than New Jersey. Um, so that's when I made the decision to move. Um, I had never lived in a country outside of the U.S., um, wow. so was a bit nervous, but very exciting. Um, and when I moved to Australia, I started at Quantium. So uh, analytics, um, retail, FMCG, banks, um, and honestly, it was mm. a great introduction into the Australian market. Um, super intelligent, smart, hardworking people who work there. And man, they work with some incredible data sets. Um, so I was thrilled to work there and start to uh, build my network within Australia, within the analytics community. Yes. And um, I'm constantly in contact with all my former um, Quantium alumni because they really are kind of just all over in Australia. One of the things that uh, became um, apparent in, in, you know, doing a bit of research on you and, and, um, and obviously in, in our communication leading up to this is you're, you're passionate about uh, data translators. Uh, so I wanted to ask you about your views. Uh, how do you define a data translator? Where do you see them making the most difference? Uh, is it something that you recommend for people? What, um, how, how do you see the, the impact and the importance of the data translator? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so data translators for me are almost the first people that you need to be hiring. Um, me personally, I, I think throughout my career, I've always played that data translator role. Um, 
But I feel like that term in itself only kind of became sexy in the past few years, and now it has yeah. a name. Yes. And actually, you can literally find a job title called the data translator. Um, but a lot of organizations um, just aren't savvy enough. And there are certainly a few that, that are, but the majority of companies across industries are just not savvy enough to know um, exactly how to be applying data. Mm-hmm. And honestly, are, are quite scared, scared of it. And to the point where, you know, they just don't want to even touch it and they just kind of relegate it to um, that data function team. So I think the beauty of data translators is that it makes data, they make data approachable. And for me, that is so important. I mean, you can be the most technical data scientist in the world, but you have to be making your insights and the data that you're working with approachable. And that has, um, I've carried that with me, you know, from my time at Avon and gosh, more than ever at the AFL where, um, you know what, the sports industry, as I'm coming to learn, they have a ton of data, right? So anything related to on-field analytics or kind of sports science analytics, they are very quantitative. But when it comes to understanding fans, um, club members, um, the data is, is not used strategically. It's used very operationally, you know? So someone purchases a ticket, let's fulfill that ticket. Someone purchases a club membership, let's use data to fulfill that club membership. Wow. But it's not used to understand, you know, who is my fan? Who is my club member? How do I engage them in a personally relevant way? And most importantly, um, and I think especially for the AFL, is that they really need to start to understand how to use data to grow into new audiences. Mm-hmm. So look, my gosh, the footy, the footy, fan blade, footy fan base, especially in Victoria, is strong. But they are aging. Um, and... They're not going to be around forever to be morbid. So it's yeah. really critical to, um, and especially looking at just the changing multicultural landscape of Australia, is to really understand who are those you know, other audiences who would love to become um, pretty people, but they just don't know how. It's not approachable to them. Right. So yes. that, that, that's really kind of my, my remit coming into the AFL. To, to uh, specifically to help expand the, the audiences? Uh, so uh, that's well and truly yep. in the uh, remit of marketing, but to support them with data and insights to understand who their fans are, who their members are, and how to start to engage with new audience, audiences like women, females, multicultural audiences, um, and actually the AFL viewership in markets like New South Wales and Queensland, mm. not as strong as in Victoria. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's... So, so interesting. Um, so we'll, we'll start jumping into the, the many questions that we've got uh, coming in. Uh, for anyone, put the, the questions in the, in the Q&A section if you can. I got a message from Karen saying that, that uh, they were having some problem accessing the Q&A section. In the Q&A section, we've got about 12 questions now and some in the chat as well. So. Um, We'll we'll start on we'll start on one of these um, in the Q and A section. Great. Um, so the first question says, says, "Hey Lisa, amazing career journey. In the context of COVID nineteen and a lack of fans in stadiums, how are the AFL using data to understand and inform decisions around supporter engagement?" Yeah, that's a great question. So 
actually, I believe we had 22,000 fans in, in Perth yesterday. Wow, yeah. that's great. Um, so obviously restrictions are, are ease there. Um, it's, and some things started, started coming back, right? There was a game yeah. in Newcastle last week. That's right. So it's a bit controversial um, at the moment, but um, you know, me personally, I think it's, it's nice to see a bit of normalcy and fans being able to watch games in person. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but right now, I mean, I guess really what the AFL has gone through in the past, um, you know, how many months now since COVID started, it's been just laser focused on just getting the game back on. Yes. So as much as we'd like to do, um, kind of on the side to understand our audiences and fans, at this mm-hmm. point, it's about we need to get the game back on and be totally agile. Um, yeah. As you know, all Victorian clubs have been moved to Queensland, so um, it's 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 been a very very difficult journey for the AFL. But man, what I'm seeing is that um, that organization, this organization, has all, almost been made for these types of moments. Mm-hmm. They are able to mobilize so quickly. When you think about it, hundreds and hundreds of players and their families, literally moving them across uh, the country amidst a global pandemic is pretty incredible. Right. Yeah. The operation there. The operations is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and something that, yeah, from the outside, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think about it as you're, you know, as you're enjoying the sports, as you're enjoying the, the spectacle. Um, but yeah, such, such an important part. Um, Really, really amazing. Um, another question we have here from Jeremy, and actually I just turned on the upvoting uh, on questions. So if you see a question that you like, you can give it a thumbs up, and then those questions will start to bubble up towards the top of the Q&A section. The question from, uh, from Jeremy is, five years from now, what sorts of questions do you think the AFL will be able to answer then that they're not, an- that they're not answering now? So this goes to like the, the long-term strategic work, um, the, um, yeah, what, what the, uh, the data foundations that you're putting in place, what's, yes. what, what is that leading to? Yeah, that's actually a great question. Um, so as I said, as I started, and I only started in, um, in October of, of last year and also to be fully transparent. So as I mentioned, you know, the AFL is going through some incredible times so majority of AFL House has actually been stood down. So I think some of you may know that, um, including myself and my team, right? So to be fully transparent, you know, we are currently stood down, unfortunately, until the end of the season. Um, but with that said, all of us are still fully connected with kind of the operations and what's, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, back to your question. Um, so where... So since I started in, in October um, um, till March, my remit was really about kind of setting up the foundations for, for customer customer data. And man, AFL have a lot, a lot of data. Mm-hmm. Um, we can kind of go into that separately, but in terms of just investing in just a new data warehouse and migrating to the cloud, that was full and truly underway. And then COVID hit, so we had to take a pause. Um, but really where I see this all moving in five years and where I would love to see this all moving in five years is not to have such silos. So right, my remit and my team look across customer and fan data, and there's a whole other footy department that's looking at um, on-field analytics, sports science. I would love for those worlds to merge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we can start answering questions like, you know, what are the types of dynamics in the game that increase fan engagement? 
you know, what are the types of games or dynamics that, you know, this type of fan likes to see versus another type of fan likes to see. So I would love to start to see some of those two worlds collide. And I think some sports leagues in the U.S. and even in Europe are starting to do this, but, but at AFL, not yet. Yeah, definitely. And I wanted, I wanted to ask you, with, um, with everything that you've done in your career, what, what are you most proud of that you've, that you've achieved? Should mm. I know? Yeah. I think I would answer that question very differently at obviously different points of, of my career. I would say right now it's, it's absolutely along the lines of um, people development. Um, so developing not only kind of juniors um, starting out in the career, but I think what brings me the most satisfaction and joy is when I could develop other leaders. Um, you know, first time kind of um, starting to manage people and teams, um, you know, as, as you know, and as many people know, it's very, very daunting. So if I can help people do that, um, that makes me really excited. And as I reflect back on the past few years, um, I think I've been able to do that. So I would say, yeah, I think that's what I'm the most proud of. What, what are you most excited about that you're working on at, uh, at the AFL? What, is there anything that's coming up uh, ahead that, that you can share, um, something that you're, yeah, that's either occupying your, your mind, something that you're really looking forward to? Obviously, things yeah. that you can do. Um, oh, 100%. So um, what am I really excited about um, was our rebuild of our entire data warehouse um, and migrating to cloud from on-prem. Um, so as I mentioned, we just embarked on that project. And I mean, how many times in your career can you build that from scratch? Right. right? right. Most of the time you'll start a company and you'll be working with legacy systems. Yep. Like who, who built this? What were they thinking? Yep. <laughs> I'm building the legacy, you know? So 10 years from now, people will be like, who's the idiot who built this? So it, it's been incredible. And, um, I guess just the way we're approaching it is makes total sense, but I don't think how it's been done previously, which is we've been talking to each of the different um, business units within the AFL, understand what are their daily processes, what kind of questions they need to be answered on a weekly basis, monthly, long-term strategic, and we're building the data model and the data warehouse around that. It's Amazing. Incredible, right? So it's not just yeah. about led by data source or data feed and just jamming it all in. Um, we're centering it around how the business operates. So again, we had just embarked on that project before COVID hit, but once we get back, we'll be straight back on it and I'll have a brand new sparkly fresh data warehouse to work with in the new year. <laughs> Amazing. And then obviously, uh, well, I, I think, does that highlight the, the importance of the data translators to, to essentially help, help people um, get excited, want to be involved in data, see the benefit over it, of it and, and want, to, want to tip in essentially their ideas uh, into right. what this new capability is going to be for the, for the organization. How, how have you found that, that part of the journey? Yeah, I mean, I'm so excited for kind of the junior members on my team to be part of this process from the beginning, right? Because, you know, starting out, you're normally in data science, you're normally seeing kind of the, the tip of the iceberg, right? 
the data inputs into the model, the model outputs, but you, you rarely do you get to see kind of underneath the hood of the data. Mm -hmm. um, so it's an incredible experience for them to be seeing this and being able to design it and model it um, yep. based on how the business operates. It's like, it's such a simple thing, <laughs> but not but, what happens. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And yeah. Do, you, do, you feel, do you feel the pressure of, um, that this is going to be looked back as as legacy in ten years. The pressure of, of getting it right. Um, how how are you handling that? A, a, a little bit of pressure, but what am I going to do? That's person ten years from now problem to deal with, not mine. I love it. That's the right attitude. That's the right attitude. And 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 obviously because I am I am a bit of a nerd. I do have to ask you uh, what what type of um, technologies and infrastructures are you either using or looking at for for the new capability build? Yeah, so um, we're going with Snowflake. So it was an extensive RFP process looking at all the big players, but um, we loved Snowflake for um, the easy scalability, but again, also because we play, the AFL play a bit of um, um, a center of excellence, mm -hmm. we're gonna be, uh, have, going to be able to have to share data with clubs in a secure and easy way. And Snowflake has that data share capability inbuilt. Yes. So that was also a big driver. Um, simultaneously, we already have kind of Tableau in-house. Mm -hmm. um, and we're also in market for um, a CRM tool as well. So it's crazy, but this whole stack is kind of going in at the same time. But the beauty is Snowflake speaks to Tableau. Snowflake speaks to Salesforce. Actually, they're all kind of owned by Salesforce, aren't they? <laughs> There's, there's yeah. a lot of investment there, yeah, and, and yeah. the synergies are are incredible. Um, that's that's basically the the stack that that we use at my work. I work in a, oh. in a healthcare, yeah, it's a healthcare AI company, and yes. uh, we literally have Snowflake, Tableau, and then uh, Salesforce. We use the like the healthcare version of Salesforce, which is Health Cloud. Um, yeah, and yeah, really good integration. And I've been I've been really impressed with with um, Snowflake actually. Oh, we're definitely going to have to chat post this. I would love to hear experience with the full stack in play. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Love it. Um, that is, um, we're, we're also playing, um, dabbling in an automated machine learning platform. Um, mm -hmm. So I may be jumping the gun a little bit, um, but um, a company called Data, Data Robot. Um, yep. So... I guess I'm just future proofing, you know, if I never have kind of, you know, full-time data scientists in-house, um, could a machine learning platform, um, that'd be pretty self-sufficient, uh, replace that. So yes. anyways, just to test, just to test. Um, I don't think that'll be ever the case because you always need that art, but it's, it's been fun to play with their tool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, um, we looked at it as well, looked at, um, data robot and, uh, H2O which is yep. um, you know, like the, the other one. And um, H2O has a, a free uh, or an open source version as well, which was great. Um, great, so we, we did a trial with that as well. And, um, and in some of the platforms, so we, we looked at um, SageMaker on AWS and looked at their sort of auto ML uh, functionality and also um, on Databricks, uh, we, we've yes. been testing that too. Um, so yeah, it sounds like it sounds like we're sort of in, in several places in the journey. Uh, we're Absolutely. also sort of like, should we go for the for the big guys auto ML or not? 
um, and and whether some of the other tools can can do some or part of that job. Uh, so no, really really exciting exciting times. Um, yeah. And, and how how do you guys uh, how do you guys prioritize uh, projects and where to focus your time with with so many opportunities um, and sort of like the world is your oyster uh, with with uh, you know being at the AFL. Do you how how do you guys prioritize what to focus your your analytics efforts on? Yeah, for me when I started, it was, I just listened. So I met with kind of key. Um, executive within the business. Um, I spoke to a lot of different people at, at clubs, um, and it seemed like membership churn and understanding membership customers was a pretty big um, use case. So that was when I was like, you know, churn models, we can do this. So that was kind of a first area for me. But simultaneously, I wanted to do a bit of R&D and start to look ahead. So that whole concept of um, bringing in the world of kind of customer analytics and sports analytics, I, I would love to start playing kind of in that space. That's incredible. Um, how, how, does that, how does that combination or how, how would that combination uh, look like? My, my understanding from, from uh, past conversations on the podcast, uh, we had people that work in, you know, in soccer teams, uh, in Formula One, and, and the sense that I've got is that the two, the two sides are generally quite separate, sort of the, mm-hmm. the sports side and, and kind of like the business analytics uh, or the, the sports analytics and the business analytics are maybe historically quite separate, but it'll definitely come a time where they come together. How do you see that um, happening? Uh, what, what would be the, or how, how would they come together? Yeah, I mean, one of the questions that's always kind of asked, and I think people have a lot of instinct or, or, or gut around it, but yeah, what are the dynamics of a game that really would drive viewership and engagement? So more people tuning in on TV, more people tuning in on, on live stream. I think it's, it's a well-known fact that the closer the games are in terms of margin, the more exciting it is. Yes. If it's a total blowout, people are like, eh, let's turn it off. So that's, that's a pretty well-known fact. But I think there are also a lot of nuances in the game, within the game, whether intended or not intended, that can drive spikes in viewership and engagement. So to bring a bit of science behind that. And I also think it's a merging of talent. So obviously super passionate and talented people on the sports analytics side and same on the customer analytics side. I just feel like there'd be so much um, benefit by starting to cross pollinate and how can we learn from each other? Yes. And how's the viewership uh, in in other parts of the world? Uh, my, My sort of, anecdotal sense is that it's increasing that the popularity of AFL is increasing at a global level and increasing outside of Australia is that um is that the sense that you have uh, internally is that is that right I mean I think there is a steady global viewership just from all the Aussie expats living around the world but I do know that um you know in the U.S. because there has been total lack of sport during COVID um, yes. some AFL games were broadcast on ESPN2 um, so I've been like looking at some of like the Twitter commentary and all of that, but just Americans are like, I don't get the rules. Like, <laughs> but it, it's still so novel. So I would, I would love, love to see AFL and the viewing of Freddy kind of go around the world because um, it's, it's, it's an incredible game and it really does bring people together. It definitely is. Yeah, I came from a, from a soccer nature, nation in uh, South America. And, you know, at the beginning, I was the same. I didn't understand AFL at all. And I definitely yeah. grew to love it. And, um, uh, and yeah, the, the excitement and the fast pace is, is amazing. That's right. Um, Elisa, 
I want to thank you so much for your time, for sharing your insights, uh, for your, your journey. I'm so impressed with everything that you've done, uh, everything that you're doing now. And, and um, a, lot of, a lot of the comments here are, are thanking you as well. Um, again, thank you so much for sharing your, your story, your insights, your perspectives with us. Uh, thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, please keep, keep doing the good work that the people are, are um, eager to, to see, to see your, your work and excited that you're doing it. Perfect, Felipe. It's an absolute pleasure. And um, maybe we'll do this again in Spanish. I love it. Let's do it. We'll book it in. Thank you so much. Take care. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.